big old boy. Amen. So I just call him so. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse number 1. I'm so thankful that God saved me one day. I'm thankful that God saved me. When I look back and I see where I was and where I was headed and now where I'm going, oh, it makes me want to shout. It makes me want to shout. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt, in the parts of Libya round about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? And you know, there's always got to be a mocker and a scoffer. Amen. Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. from this very familiar scripture reading. I'm sure your pastors preach from it. But for quite some time now, there's been something troubling me and causing concern in my spirit. And it's my prayer that I'll be able to deliver the burden of the word of the Lord to you throughout this message. I want you to take another look at verses 15 and 16. Where Peter says, but these are not drunken as you suppose. Seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
Bear with me just a little bit, and I'll let you be seated. Peter tells all those among the multitude that had gathered together to see and hear what was happening in the upper room that were confounded by what they saw and heard. Those that were amazed by what they saw and heard. And those that doubted what they saw and heard. And those even that mocked and said they were just full of new wine. That they were not drunk like they supposed them to be. But what they were seeing and hearing was what had been prophesied by the prophet Joel. Peter very adamantly declared, this is that. And I want to preach exactly what Peter said. For I have no doubt that this Holy Ghost experience that I have is the exact same Holy Ghost that those 120 that were gathered together in the upper room experienced on the day of Pentecost. This is that. However, the very thing that's troubling me, causing concern in my spirit, is that in spite of knowing this is that, there are some times when I can't help but wonder where this is that is at. Not only in some of our so-called apostolic church services, but in some of our daily lives as well. Oh, can I hear an amen? And so it's with this disquieting thought running through my mind and the burden of the word of the Lord laying heavy on my heart. I want to try and preach not just about this is that, but rather this is that. So where is that at? bless you. You can be seated. The first four verses of our text reading inform us that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, uh, that those 120 men and women that had gathered in the upper room were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house uh, where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues, uh, like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These first four verses of Acts chapter 2 give us insight into the operation and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. First of all, the Holy Ghost will fall when people gather together in one mind and one accord. Ah, somebody going to help me preach today. When people will get together and do what Jesus instructed his disciples to do and tarry until, amen, we will be endued with the Holy Ghost power from on high. Can I hear an amen? When we will quit coming to church with an attitude of indifference that says, I really don't want to be here. 
I wish I was anywhere but here. So let's just hurry up and get it over with. Get out of here and go get something to eat. The Holy Ghost will fall and we will be endued with power from on high. Oh, somebody praise him right now. If we'll quit coming to church, allowing the devil to sit on our shoulder and lie to us and tell us that it's just going to be another boring, dead, and dry service and instead do what the Word of God says to do in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The Holy Ghost will fall, and we'll be endued with power from on high. You okay if I take my coat off? Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. If we'll quit coming to church uh, with an apathetic feeling of uh, whatever will be, will be, uh, and instead come to church with an outlook of determination uh, and with our minds made up no matter what it takes, uh, no matter how long it takes, uh, we're going to humble ourselves and we'll really pray instead of just going through the motion of praying uh, and we'll seek the face of God uh, so that we can have a mighty move of God. Uh, The Holy Ghost will fall uh, and we'll be endued with power from on high my God my is anybody going to help me preach today Secondly, I want you to notice how the Holy Ghost come. Verses 2 and 3 tells us that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. It was a sound from heaven. It was not a sound from the synagogue. It was not a sound from the religious establishment of the day. It was not even a sound from those who claim to be so pious uh, and spiritual. Uh, It was a sound from heaven uh, and it was as a a rushing mighty wind. Uh, It it arrived with intensity. Uh, It arrived with aggressiveness, uh, with forcefulness and with power. Uh, The wind of the Holy Ghost didn't just come drifting uh, into that upper room like a gentle little breeze uh, but it it came blowing through that house like a hurricane. Oh, somebody saw Praise the Lord. There has never been and neither will there ever be any wind as powerful as the rushing mighty wind of the Holy Ghost. And there will never be no fire as intense and consuming as the Holy Ghost. And when the wind of the Holy Ghost comes, it will blow stronger than any wind of division, turmoil, discord, and dissension. And it comes in and drives those forces of confusion and disorder out. And I, for one, am asking the Holy Holy Ghost, blow through this assembly. Oh, go ahead. Ask him to blow through this house. Please understand. You cannot confine this Holy Ghost power into any type of a room or a building. You cannot box the Holy Ghost up and keep it quiet. You cannot keep this Holy Ghost silent and noiseless. Something inside of me is just saying it's got to come out. It's got to come out. You cannot keep this Holy Ghost to yourself. It will be noised abroad. The Holy Ghost is just too big, too powerful, and too life-changing to be kept confined. It's too big and too powerful to keep subdued and to keep quiet.
when the wind of the Holy Ghost blew through that house on the day of Pentecost. Verse number 7 informs us that when they, this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. In other words, they were astonished. They were puzzled. They were bewildered. Amen. And confused because the entire multitude heard these 120 Galileans uh, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Brother Mayo, I used to spend a lot of time, energy, and effort on those who are skeptical, those who are critical, those who claim to be religious and the so-called saved folks, uh, trying to make them hungry, uh, trying to convince them of the goodness of God, uh, trying to get them to realize their need to become more passionate for God uh, and to stretch out and to reach for more of God. Uh, but at this stage of my life, I've come to the realization uh, that I'm going to have to quit wasting my time on the mockers, uh, the scoffers, the doubters, and the scorner. And because of this realization, I've become weary with the self-righteous and self-satisfied hypocrites with their disdainful and disrespectful attitude and their hateful and malicious spirits. Oh, God, is anybody going to help me preach today? Oh, if I make you mad, I'm not going to apologize. Maybe this is why I felt this. I'm even weary of those who claim to be apostolic, yet they make every excuse they can think of to miss church. Oh, God, help me, Jesus. And then when they do quit making excuses, and for they cannot come, and when they do finally decide to bless the church with their presence, amen, they just sat like some type of an emotional spectator watching with eyes that look like some kind of a predator or a vulture looking for someone or something to destroy and to devour. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm troubled in my spirit about those among us who claim to be apostolic, but they want to look like the world, dress like the world, and act like the world. Oh, they can come to service after service with an attitude that says they're more interested in looking appealing to the flesh, and their only concern is to try and impress someone instead of worshiping God. They strut around like some sort of a Pentecostal peacock on parade, yet they never lift their voice in prayer or praise. They never even try to feel after the Spirit of God, and they never attempt to worship God in spirit and in truth. My God, my God. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I know that I have less time ahead of me than I do behind me. So I've decided I'm no longer going to expend all my energy on those types of individuals. I'm here for the hungry and the thirsty. I'm going to spend my time doing my best to, amen, feed and meet the need of those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm not going to try to force feed anyone anymore. I'm not going to try to run them down and get them blessed. I'm going to do my best to preach the word of God without fear and without favor. And by the help and grace of God, I'm going to do my best to preach it with the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm even going to do my best to preach it where I can bring it within your 
reach. But if you want it, you're going to have to reach out and grab a hold of it for yourself. My God, my God. Well, let me add something right here before I go any further. I'm even weary of so-called men of God who are more interested in apostolic church politics, their own personal agendas, their own personal name recognition than they are about promoting the name of Jesus. Oh, God, help me. They are more concerned about a demonstration of their fleshly intellect, their oratory skills, and enticing words of men's wisdom than they are in a demonstration of the Spirit of God and the power of God. Give us more of what was preached here last Sunday by Pastor Mayo, an invitation to the impossible. Some of you need to get a copy of that CD and listen to it again. Oh, God, Brother Mayo, I want him to do what seems to be impossible in me. I want him to do the improbable in me. Oh, I want him to do the unusual in me. Somebody lift your hands and love him right now. What it seems that so many have forgotten is it was not church politics personal agenda or personal name recognition on the day of Pentecost. It was a mighty manifestation of the Spirit of God and the power of God that brought the multitude to see what was happening. And when they became confounded, amazed, and they marveled at what they saw and heard, and when some of those that were among them began to mock and say that they're just full of new wine because evidently they were so drunk under the influence of the Holy Ghost, they were staggering around like they were drunks. Oh, so if you see us act kind of strange around here, oh, just go go ahead and hold on because you ain't seen nothing yet. I said you ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, God, I would to God someone would stand to your feet and give God some praise right now. Also, please note, it was not great oratory skills, fleshly intellect, or enticing words of men's wisdom on the day of Pentecost. When Peter answered the mockers' criticism, for he just very bluntly said, For these are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Preachers, we don't need to preach our personal agenda. Just preach Jesus. Preachers, we don't need to preach enticing words of men's wisdom. Just preach the word. Preachers, I'm not interested in your intellect or your oratorical ability. Just preach Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Preachers, don't dilute it or sugarcoat it. Preach the Holy Ghost is still that. (laughs) 
not even begin to try to explain why those 120 men and women were acting the way they were. He didn't try to justify or rationalize their behavior. Notice that he did not say they were not drunk. He just said these are not drunken like you suppose they are. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Uh, Peter was saying this is not the kind of intoxication uh, uh, that you're thinking is. Uh, it's not the type of inebriation uh, you're familiar with. Uh, it's definitely not the kind of spirit you're used to. Uh, because this kind of a drunk uh, is not anything you can get out of a bottle. Uh, but we're under the influence of some heavenly wine. Uh, oh, <laughs> And then Peter went on to clarify what the prophet Joel meant when he said, this is that. For in verse 17 he said, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Peter was telling the crowd that had gathered that day. What you're seeing and hearing is the effect of this new wine. But it's a new wine that you've never seen or heard of. And up until now, no one has ever tasted. But this new wine is God's Spirit being poured out upon all flesh. Notice that Peter said that the prophet Joel said that God said he would pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. All flesh means Jewish flesh and Gentile flesh. It means white flesh, black flesh, brown flesh, red flesh, yellow flesh, rich flesh, poor flesh, amen, male flesh, female flesh, young flesh and old flesh. You say that several times and see if your tongue don't get tangled. I'm glad he didn't leave me out of that. I said I'm glad he didn't leave me out of it. This is that. It's for whosoever will flesh. Because Revelation 22 verse 17 declares, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him that heareth come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. There are just two conditions. You have to have received your own experience of this is that. You have to be be flesh and you have to be thirsty. I wonder if there would be any thirsty flesh in the house today. I wonder if there's anyone thirsty in the house today whom like David could say in the first and second verses of the 63rd Psalm where he cries, Oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. was declaring was he had a thirst that he knew nothing in this world could quench or satisfy. 
he knew this world is a dry desert place or empty soul parched, dehydrated, and desiccated. And the only thing that could deliver him from dying of spiritual thirst is the spirit of Almighty God. David was telling God that he had seen what God could do in the house of God. And he wanted to see it again. He wanted to feel it again. He wanted to experience it every time he came to the house of God. David was telling God that he had seen God's power and his glory displayed every time he made his way to the house of God. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and love him. And if we would come to each and every service with that same kind of passion, persistence, and zeal for a move of God, we would never have a dead, dry service because that kind of thirsty desire will cause God to open up the windows of heaven and let the wind of the Holy Ghost blow through this church house just like it did on the day of Pentecost. And it'll be noised abroad just like it was that day. Oh, not only will it be noised abroad, Broad, but people will come to see and hear what is happening. And when the word of God is preached, it'll bring conviction. A genuine move of the Holy Ghost, an apostolic preaching, has always and will always bring conviction. And by the time that crowd had gathered, heard the rest of Peter's powerfully anointed and soul-stirring message, and let me tell you, it wasn't watered down, glossed over, even sugar-coated fluff with no substance. They came under such great conviction that they asked what they had to do to get right with God. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter did not attempt to compromise with God. Peter did not enter into some type of a theological debate on the Godhead or even try to bring them to the table to negotiate with them what it takes to be saved. Peter just said, this is that. And he didn't mince words uh, when he, as he proceeded to tell them the plan of salvation. Uh, you have to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ uh, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Have you ever looked up the word shall? It's a promise, but it also means you have to. And I've come to this pulpit today uh, to declare that this Acts 2.38 message of repentance, uh, water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, uh, evidenced by speaking in tongues uh, as the Spirit of God gives the utterance, is still that. Uh, this is that, uh, what it takes to be saved today. Uh, there is still no other message of salvation. Uh, there is still no other name uh, that salvation can come through. Uh, for Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other oh for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and everyone in this place 
that claims to be apostolic, filled with the Holy Ghost, should believe everything that I've preached up to this point. You should believe and have no doubt that this Holy Ghost experience that you have, or maybe I should say you claim to have, is the exact same Holy Ghost that those 120 that were gathered together in the upper room experienced on the day of Pentecost. This is that. However, in spite of knowing this Acts 2.38 message of repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sin, and the absolute essentiality of being filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance is still the only biblical way to be born again of water and spirit. In spite of knowing that this experience is in fact the this is that that Joel prophesied and Peter preached uh, on the day of Pentecost uh, is the very truth that the apostolic church is founded upon. Uh, and in spite of knowing that we are living in the last days, uh, amen, of which God said that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh uh, and that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy uh, and your young men shall see visions uh, and your old men shall dream dreams. Uh, my spirit is troubled uh, and I find myself asking, uh, I know that this is is that so where is that at I've heard pretty much most of my life that we're living in the last days and when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the church was brought into existence, uh, and the beginning of the church age was the beginning of the last days. Uh, I've read through the book of Acts enough to know uh, that the true apostolic church of Jesus Christ uh, immediately began to function in supernatural power. You have to look no further than the third chapter of Acts to read the story of Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer uh, and seeing the lame man that lay daily at the gate. Uh, Amen of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began to ask them, alms, alms. And when Peter told, amen, that lame man, he said, silver and gold have I none. Oh, he immediately, he said, but what I want you to do is look on us. He immediately gave them utmost attention. Amen. But when Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. Read on through the book of Acts for yourself and you're going to find where the hands of the apostles, amen, many signs and wonders were performed among the people. And the people started bringing the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches and hopes at the very least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Huh? Multitudes came out of the cities round about huh, into Jerusalem bringing sick folks huh, uh, them which were vexed with unclean spirits huh, and they were healed every one. I don't have time to cover it all. When you read through the book of Acts, 
and sign were signs, wonders, and miracles. Casting out devils, healing the sick, raising the dead, and the gifts of the Spirit were in operation in the early church. I know that God speaking through the prophet Malachi in chapter 3, verse 6, that he declares, for I am the Lord, I change not. And I already said, Hebrews 13 and 8, amen, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm not being cynical or skeptical, but something in me cries out, so where is that at now? Where are the signs and the wonders and the miracles more the exception than the norm? Why have most of our young people never seen a miracle happen before their eyes? Where are the men and women that used to be in the altar at least 30 minutes to an hour before service time, lifting their voice and crying out to God for an outpouring of His Spirit in each and every service? are the young people who will not wait for their pastor to urge them to pray, but will on their own accord fervently seek the face of God for a mighty visitation, a manifestation of His power for the service. can get mad at me if you want. I'm preaching the burden of my heart. Where are the saints of God that have a holy hunger and a fervent passion for a continual spirit of revival? Oh God, where is the spiritual zeal and fervor that we are willing to go through anything and lay aside everything just to be in the presence of God in each and every service? It's the fire of God that used to burn within the hearts of God's holy men and women that were never content with just a mediocre service. Where is the fire of God? Where is it? Do we really think that we already have everything we need? Or does it mean that we are satisfied with the little that we do have? And we don't want any more. There was a day, not just too long ago, when you didn't have to wonder whether something was sin or not. Because not only was sin defined, it was also forcefully declared from the pulpit by holy and uncompromising men of God. And for the most part, individuals didn't rebel and question the authority of the man of God. But they would fall on their face in repentance. And once they got up from the altar, they would say, if the man God says it's sin, then it's sin and I'll leave it alone. pastored and Brother Sam Wheeler was 94 years old when he passed away. The last time he was in service, Elder, I seen him run the aisle. But I remember him telling me, he said, I was going to the racetrack. This was the drag strip. He always liked fast cars. He was going 
to the racetrack. He was racing. And the pastor got wind of it. He didn't call him into the church office and say, Brother, I don't want you doing that anymore. He raked him over the coals in front of God and everybody. And Brother Sam Wheeler didn't get mad. He said, Pastor, if that's the way it's got to be, I'll never do it again. Some of you need to get that desire. I'll never do it again, God. We are definitely living in the last days. But the power of God is no less than it was on the day of Pentecost. And God has not changed. And neither has he changed of his mind about what sin is. You can label me critical. And you can say I'm being judgmental in my spirit if you want. But I can only deliver the burden that God has placed in my spirit. The problem is that not God has changed, but rather those of us that make up the apostolic church. We have gotten lazy, selfish, carnal, and worldly. If we're ever going to experience what the early church experienced. The church of today has got to get out of the supper room and get back to the upper room. We're going to have to shake ourselves loose from all of the doubt, the unbelief, the intimidation, and the fearfulness. Is anybody going to help me? We're going to have to do exactly what Romans chapter 13 verses 11 through 14 instructs us to do. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in riding and drunkenness. Not in chambering and wanting. Not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We're going to have to get back to the altar and get back down to business with God and cry out until heaven comes down and the glory of God fills the house. We're waiting for God to come down and visit us with that same great manifestation. But God's waiting on us to get full of the Holy Ghost. Yes, that's what I said. God's waiting for us to get full of the Holy Ghost. And I know someone's sitting there thinking, well, you either got the Holy Ghost or you don't. So let me explain what I'm saying about being full of the Holy Ghost. We cannot be effective in the kingdom of God without being full of His power. And we cannot be full of his power without being full of his spirit. We're not qualified until we're full. And again, you need to look no further than the book of Acts for scriptural verification of what I just said. 
In Acts chapter 6, amen, we can read where the church had grown and many disciples had been added, amen, when the ministering of the neglected widows became a subject of controversy, so they gathered all the new converts together and told them, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And because the apostles, the apostles knew the absolute importance of being full of the Holy Ghost, uh, amen. Uh, because in verse 3, the apostles said, Wherefore, brethren, uh, look ye out among ye seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, uh, whom we may appoint over this business. Uh, in other words, just to be a table waiter in the early church, you had to be full of the Holy Ghost uh, and wisdom. And of those seven men, Stephen and Philip ha, might have started out waiting on tables. Ha, but if you keep on reading, ha, you come to verse 8 where it says, And Stephen, ha, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people, full of the Holy Ghost, ha, full of faith ha, and full of power. Oh, hallelujah. I wonder if anybody's getting what I'm preaching today. Go ahead and read on into the 8th chapter of Acts. And you'll find another one of those full of the Holy Ghost table waiters by the name of Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto these things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many that were taken with palsies and that were laying were healed. Has anybody been paying attention to what I've been preaching? You want to be used? Oh God, Help me. You want to be used? Get full of the Holy Ghost. You won't argue with what this man says. You'll just line up and do it. I've got to wind this down. So, where is that at? When are we going to see that which is Joel prophesied and Peter proclaimed on the day of Pentecost? We will see that when we ourselves get full of the Holy Ghost. We will see that when we make up our minds nothing is more important than a prayer life. We will see that when we make up our minds that we cannot go another service without a mighty move of God. <laughs> we will see that when we come church ready to have church. I said we'll see that when we come to church ready to have church. I said we'll see that when we come to church when we're ready to have church. Oh, we'll see that when we refuse to have dead, dry, mundane church. We'll see that when we refuse to be refused. We'll see that when we quit making excuses for our flesh and hold ourselves accountable to the standard of the Word of God. We'll see that when the very thought of the bound and the oppressed leaving our church in the same condition that they came brings conviction on us and makes us cry out to God in repentance for a lack of a burden. We'll see that when we ask for nothing less. And expect nothing more than a mighty move of the Holy Ghost. 
and we'll see that. We allow God to do what man says is impossible. haven't liked what I've been preaching. I can see in your posture you don't like what I've been preaching. Just where is that at? It's in the presence of Jehovah. Uh, James emphatically tells us in James 4 and 8 that if we will draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. <laughs> where is that at? It's wherever those that hunger and thirst after rightness cry out to God and refuse to be pacified, satisfied, and content with anything less than a manifested presence and the power of God. himself gives us the answer when he speaks through the prophet Jeremiah in the 33rd chapter of Jeremiah verse number 3 he says call unto me and I will answer thee show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not I wonder if anyone hungry and thirsty today. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. These altars are wide open. God, I want that. I want the this is that. 